Trump? I'm on. I'm just really quiet. I've rarely been accused of that. Well, I just want to say uh, thank you for the many birthday wishes. And uh, I noticed a pretty good number of Aloha shirts. And uh, that's always appreciated. Uh, when we get to heaven and we're wearing those white robes, right under that robe, we're going to be wearing Aloha shirts. I'm pretty sure. But uh, as you can see from the screen, uh, we're going to spend two or three Sundays looking at uh, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And it's John 17, and it's where Jesus, the night on, on which he celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples and then was betrayed uh, by Judas, is also the night he prayed for us. And he didn't just pray for the believers, for the disciples that were with him physically. He makes it clear in this prayer that at the same time he was praying for you. He was praying for all of us who would come to believe in Jesus Christ because of the testimony and the truth that those disciples would spread. So I hope, uh, I hope as we're studying this, uh, and I really, um, really want to encourage this, that you and I would, would very intentionally be taking everything Jesus says personally. Now, there are times in life where we take things too personal. There are times in life where we, we take offense or, or we apply something to ourselves that wasn't individually meant for us. This is the opposite of that. This is truly, literally, powerfully the opposite of that, that Jesus will be desiring and hoping and encouraging and pleading with us that we would take it more and more personally and apply what he's saying and draw hope from what he's saying and draw vision and clarity from what he's saying, draw identity from what he's saying. So if you'll turn to John chapter 17, you're, many of you are already there, but let's read just the first few verses. As Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And we're going we're gonna to get a little later. We're not going to try to pack it into today. But we're going to get a little bit later in the prayer where Jesus also extends this prayer for shared glory between he and the Father. He also ends up extending it to us. That he invites us to share that glory with, with him and the Father. But let's look at this, these few verses for just a few moments. It says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes. Okay, am I at the right place? This is always a new challenge. Is anything appearing? 
It is? Oh, that, this, the passage is appearing. Okay. But what I'm writing is not appearing. Am I on the right page? doesn't want to start. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going and we'll worry about the electronics afterwards. But a couple of things that, that flow out of this immediately that are, that are just, I, I think, when, when Scripture captures something, it's worth pausing to just notice what got captured. And it starts with this, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. And we could go to several other passages. So if we could go to John chapter 11, where Jesus was praying right before he raised Lazarus back from the dead. And what it says is, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, prayed to the Father. And he says, Father, I know you always hear me, but I'm, I'm praying specifically out loud so the people around me will know what's going on. They'll know I'm talking to you, and they'll know what you're doing. And so that recognition, you and I have this recognition, I trust. Um, when I pray, I could close my eyes. I could keep my eyes open. I could bow my head. I could keep my head up. If you pray while you're driving, you could keep your eyes open and your head up. Um, I did pray once on the highway with my eyes closed. It was not intentional. I just, I, I sort of lost it. By the way, there was no wreck that day, but there was a speeding ticket that day. So God taught me to keep my eyes open while I'm praying. But here's Jesus who knows the truth. Jesus who knows the truth of his intimacy with the Father. And he's lifting his eyes up to heaven. And again, it's not because Jesus does not comprehend that, he, that in the privacy of his thoughts, he can have a powerful, intimate conversation with God and never say anything out loud. That no matter where his eyes are looking or where his, his face is, is addressing, that his heart is in perfect communion with the Father, and we get to know that. But I think one of the things that comes up several times, uh, and, and actually, we also have that at the, at the feeding of the 5,000. But it says the same thing. Jesus lifted up his eyes unto heaven and gave thanks and, and blessed that food, and then fed, fed over 5,000 men and their wives and children. And that looking up conveys this truth for us, that we, when we pray, we are not looking to the world. When we pray, we are not looking to our environment or the surroundings. We're not looking to other people. We're not looking to human resources or earthly resources. So it's a simple concept, but it's a really crucial concept of awareness. Father, I want to look beyond all these things and recognize I'm in communion with the God of the universe. 
and that we would borrow that mindset from Jesus, I could ignore these things because I know who I'm talking to. Not that I have to look up because otherwise you won't know I'm talking to you. I look up to get my own eyes off this environment, off these limitations. I look up to get my own awareness above the limitations of what's around me. So Jesus does that, and like many things Jesus does, he's not doing it because he's ignorant, but he's, he's literally teaching his disciples something while he does it this way. That he's looking beyond in communion with the Father. And it says, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And then drop to verse 4. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, Jesus is praying this prayer in front of his disciples. And again, we get to draw wisdom from this. We get to draw a mindset. We get to draw a way of seeing things from this. That here's Jesus. And in preparation for all his prayer, he's clarifying this. I want my purpose to be to bring you glory. And, and because he's the son, he's not just a disciple. Because he's the, the son, he can actually say... I've glorified you, you're glorifying me. But he, he does this one particular thing. I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So, again, we get to draw wisdom from that. You and I get to have this wisdom, Father. And this is almost, well, it is amazing. All of this will be amazing. But it's amazing that God is saying, you know what? When you simply accomplish the things I've given you to do. That somehow the God of the universe is glorified in that process. You and I have power and effectiveness to bring glory to God just by doing what he puts in front of us to do. So that if he calls us in our friendships, in our church fellowship, in our marriages, in our relationship with parents or with children, with brothers and sisters, our relationship to the unsaved, in all those different aspects that God's saying, you know what? Here's this amazing thing. I am this majestic, glorious God. I created the universe. Nobody helped me do that. But here's one thing you get to do that brings me joy. When you do the things I set in front of you to do, you bring me glory. Now, I'm going to ask a question. You don't have to raise hands. But I recognize, at least for myself, how rare this is. How often, when you're doing something that God called you to do, are you aware that, Father, right now, I'm bringing glory to you. I'm bringing glory to you. I'm not adding glory to you that wasn't supposed to be there. But out of your own design, I get to be an aspect of how you glorify yourself. Imperfect, unfinished, sinner me, just doing the thing God called me to do in the next minute, the next day, the next challenge. I bring glory to God. So I hope that you and I will actually take something from this today into our week. That we would actually see moments of obedience. We would see a moment of having the right attitude, of having the right faith and trust in God, of choosing his ways above our ways. That we would actually have a moment of celebration. We would actually have a moment of genuine delight and shared delight with Father. Say, Father, 
I just want to stop and pause and be amazed at this. This glorifies you. You are enjoying glory by your work, your spirit, your son working through me to just do the thing you've put in front of me to do brings you glory. Now, I also want to point out one thing in this glory part out of verse 5. Um, how many people here have heard someone say or read, have read somewhere where someone claimed that Jesus never claimed to be God? Um, I've, I've heard that from numerous people. And I've read it in the past of somebody saying, you know what? Jesus never claimed to be God. That's just something Paul and those crazy Christians added later. Here's verse 5. Now, Father... Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So here's Jesus making this incredible claim. Before there was even an earth, before there was Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, before all of that even existed, I was with you and we shared majestic glory. And we have numerous claims like that. One of my favorite is in, in John 8, where when Jesus is talking to the, I mean, to the Pharisees, and his disciples are there, but he's talking to the Pharisees, and, and you remember this, it's where Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. That he didn't say, you know what, Abraham was just prophesying my arrival. He says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. Somehow God allowed Abraham to see the majesty of what God was working on and what was coming. But God, Jesus adds to that claim. Abraham wasn't just predicting the future. Abraham was seeing me for who I really am. And I already was that God. Before Abraham existed, I am. And he used the name that God gave to Moses at the, at the burning bush. Tell them... Tell them this God sent you. I am that I am. And they knew. They took up stones to stone him. Because they knew what Jesus was doing. They knew in that moment. Jesus was very directly taking Old Testament scripture. And claiming equality with God. Claiming to be the creator God. So this Jesus. Here he is getting ready to go to a, the, the worst night of his life. The next day the worst day that anyone has ever had. And we've talked about this before, that the tragedy of what's coming for Jesus, the, the suffering and, and grief of what's coming for Jesus, wasn't just the physical death. Plenty of believers, pl actually plenty of men, women, and children through human history have suffered as bad as Jesus suffered physically. And plenty of believers, but also non-believers, People for political purposes or, or some other religious purpose have gone to those horrible deaths rejoicing. That they so believed in what they were dying for, they rejoiced in it. Jesus was not just going through the physical death. You know this, but it's worth pondering as he's, as he's spending his night praying for us. That he was getting ready to endure the Father's punishment, the Father's wrath. The Father's judgment against our sin. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to complete the work you gave me down to the last drop. I will take all the wrath you have to pour out on Reg. I'll take it. 
All the wrath you have to pour out on Steve. All the wrath you have to pour out on Reed. All the wrath you have to pour out on Cindy. I'll take all of it so that we can bring them into our glory. And so this shared glory that Jesus enjoyed with the Father before is now being magnified, exemplified, lifted up for notice because he's willing to go to the point of death to fulfill the Father's work for him. You and I get to participate in that glory. Now he says this too. Even as you have given him, back to verse 2, you've, you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So go to Matthew chapter 7. And this is, this is a passage where, make sure I'm in the right place. Okay, I may have the reference wrong, so I'll just tell you because you know it. This is where Jesus has people in front of him saying, we preached in your name, cast out demons in your name. We did, we did the good religious work in your name. And, and what's amazing is they even use that phrase, we did it in your name. But what Jesus says is, depart from me, I never knew you. And so here's Jesus saying, here's eternal life, know me. Here's eternal life, know the Father. Let's go to John chapter 8. Where he emphasizes this again. In John chapter 8. Where again he's talking to those. Who claim to belong to God. But are rejecting Jesus. Starting in verse 42. Jesus said to them. If God were your father. Listen to this. If God were your father. You would love me. He didn't say, if God were your father, you would accommodate me or tolerate me. You'd go, well, fine, God, if you have to add him, we'll take it. He says, no, if your heart were really inclined to God, if your faith was really in the living God, your spirit would already be rejoicing to receive me with love. For I proceeded from and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. So our, our witness of Jesus, when we know somebody who claims to believe in God, this actually gets to be part of our witness. I'm hoping that your love for God is real, because if your love for God is real, if it is, Jesus is the full revelation of that Father. He says so, and that recognition, I cannot claim to trust God and believe in God, and then reject the one He sent. I cannot say, I believe you, but I'm not going to believe the most important thing you've ever done. So I may have a vision of God. I may have a false model of God in my head that I'm worshiping or trusting in. But if I'm loving or pursuing or seeking the real God, 
Jesus is that full revelation. And you and I get to pursue this. And I like the fact that Jesus, in this passage of John 17, he's saying, know me. So we have plenty of passages throughout John and throughout the New Testament that talk about believing in Jesus. John 3.16, most of you know that passage and could memorize it. If you believe in him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus is taking believing to a more personal level and he says, if you're really believing me, then part of what you believe is that I've called you into a love relationship. Now, when we, when we sing and do worship, um, part of the challenge for us, and I want to be careful how, that, how I say this, um, it's not about emotionality. It's not, can I just emote to worship God? But while I'm singing those songs, while I'm pondering what I read in Scripture, do I choose a heart of, of responsiveness to God where I'm actually agreeing, Father, I want to love you through my songs of worship. I want to love you by my heart of responsiveness to the Word. So I'm not just gathering facts when I study the Word. I'm not just singing true doctrine while I worship God. That I'm actually growing as a, as a man, as a woman, as a child, wherever I am in life, I'm growing to love God more and I'm growing to love him intentionally. And I say so. I choose it and I say so. So this knowing relationship with the Father and the Son is about a love relationship. If I'm really seeking after God and seeking after Christ. And then that leads to other things. You know, one of the things we were talking about in the Sunday school class was what it means to live in faith. So we're going through Hebrews 11, where it keeps using that phrase, in faith, by faith. And that recognition that a life lived by faith, God's really saying this, a life lived by faith is a love relationship with God. A life lived by faith is a relationship of wanting to know him deeper and deeper and deeper. And then let it affect me. Because then Jesus adds this in John 15. He says, if you love me, keep, keep my commandments. Not if you love me, sit in the corner having a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings about me. Now, if you're sitting in a corner, meditating and pondering, and you're filled with warm, fuzzy feelings toward God, that's wonderful. And then we get off our rear ends and we go do something that loves him by doing the things he said. By doing the things he said in our families, in our church relationships, in our witness to the world, we do the things he said as an act of love and as an act of really knowing him. Back to John 17. Jesus says this too, that we get to draw comfort from. Even as you gave him, back to verse 2, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And that recognition, which we've talked about before, but, but we have to keep drawing deeper and deeper strength of confidence and encouragement. That if I belong to Jesus Christ, I can't get lost. If I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, 
I, I can't slide off the table. If I belong to Jesus Christ, the enemy cannot snatch away my salvation. If I belong to Jesus Christ, my track record cannot disqualify me. If I belong to Jesus Christ, even struggles with doubt can't disqualify me. And we won't go into all those passages again. But the recognition that Jesus is saying, did the Father give you to me? Did I die for you and you believed in me and now you know me? Then here's what I've given you. Eternal life. Now, I would bet that somewhere in this room is somebody... In fact, I'm sure of it. There is somebody in this room who doubted your salvation over the past seven days. You didn't feel like your faith was strong enough. You didn't feel like your obedience was good enough. You didn't feel quite as good as maybe some other Christian you know, or maybe even more than most Christians you know. And the enemy, the accuser, the accuser and liar was right there to say, maybe you've lost it. Maybe you've been disqualified. You know, and, and part, of the, part of growing confidence from this isn't that I go, oh, I believe once saved, always saved. Okay, so I'm good. That, that it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a careless confidence. It's a, it's a wise confidence. Father, I want to get back into the truth of who I really am in Christ. And then I want to agree with you on what grows from struggling with this moment of doubt. So it's not I just go ahead and if I'm struggling because of sin in my life and now I can remember that once saved, always saved, now I can just go ahead and let that sin keep happening without a lack of confidence. That is not the point. It's that my confidence in my salvation motivates me. My confidence that I will one day be in Christ's presence and I will be transformed into his likeness. Go to 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Starting at verse 1. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see him just as he is. And if we pause right there, in the flesh we could say, well, you know what? If that's a done deal, if that's a certainty, and he's saying it's a certainty. So please ponder this for a moment for yourself as a believer. That what God is saying is, one day you will see Jesus Christ face to face. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that day will happen. And what he's saying is, on the day that happens... You will be transformed. Sin will be completely removed from your life. The, the, all the ravages of sin, all the doubts from sin, all the disqualifiers of sin, everything missing in your intimacy with God, all of that will be transformed and you will become just like Jesus Christ. In your character and also in your relationship with the Father, you'll become just like Jesus Christ. Now, this is a thought question for you. Again, I'm not asking any raising of hands. But the thought question is, wow, if I really believe that, does that mean I 
can just like coast and not worry about growing and not worry about maturing and, and just live out my life selfishly till I die because it's all going to get done anyway. And Paul was even accused of teaching that. But here's what John adds to that in the very next verse. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that recognition, the more clearly, and this is worth pondering in meditation and conversation with God. Father, I want to see the certainty of my transformation one day. I want to learn to see it as a real thing. I want to see Reg transformed into the likeness of Christ. You don't have to worry about seeing Reg. Imagine yourself. Picture yourself fully transformed in perfect intimacy with the Father. Everything of sin removed from you. Everything of sin removed from you. And what God is saying is, if you're really pondering that eternity, you're really meditating, you're really taking confidence in the certainty of that outcome, and you're recognizing all of this is founded in Jesus Christ. Here's what he's actually saying. I can now use that to motivate you and empower you to grow in purity right now here on the planet. So again, he's not talking about a careless confidence, a lackadaisical confidence that says, well, since it's going to get done, I don't have to worry about even growing or maturing. It's no, the more clearly I picture what's going to get done, the more clearly I really ponder and agree with God on what he's going to do for me and in me. He's saying the more clearly you see that, the easier it will be to work with you to pursue purity now. So I don't know when was the last time you spent a few moments pondering with God that moment of arrival in His presence when you are transformed in the likeness of Christ. But what I'd encourage you to do is plan to do that some this week. You know, we hit different passages of Scripture and we can't, we can't do 5,000 things every week. Try to do that this week. That you would spend a few moments with God. And again, even if you come back and you read this passage again in 1 John chapter 3. You read, you read John 17 again and hear about how Jesus is praying for your transformation and growth. That you would actually share a vision with God and say, I want to love that vision of me. And here's the thing. If I really love that vision of me, why would I want to delay? If I really love the vision God has of my transformation into the likeness of Christ, why would I want to ignore that vision and that design and that purpose? Why would I want to say, let's ignore that for 30, 40 years, maybe I'm being optimistic, and, and just wait till I get there? He's saying, no, then you have not yet gotten an accurate vision of what this is about. If you can delay it and not care about that transformation now, you've not yet gotten an accurate vision of what I'm working on. So I would actually encourage all of us, spend some time with amazement and gratitude where you recognize, Jesus, you were praying for me that I would fully know you, and in fully knowing you, I would be confident of my eternal life, and in being confident of my eternal life, I would gain wisdom from the certainty of my transformation. So that truth leading to truth means I'm willing to grow this week. And that means my, my ear should be attuned to God. Father, where would you like me to grow this week? That's a conversation that God's delighted to have 
in grace, without condemnation, to say, I can show you where you get to grow this week. But it delights me that you so agree with my vision for your transformation that you're willing to continue that transformation right now. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that you really know what you're doing. And Jesus, you knew what you were praying for when you, brand, when you launched this prayer. That you were desiring that the Father would be glorified in you and that you would glorify the Father. And the Father would then turn around and bestow glory on you. And then Father, Son, and Spirit, you would intercede for us and bestow glory on us as we participated in your work, your purposes, your oneness. Father, you know every challenge that the people in this room are facing. Physical challenges and financial challenges. Father, relationships that are wounded. Relationships that are broken. Things longed for that look hopeless. Good purposes, Father, that don't seem to be coming about. You know every discouragement. You know every lie that we grapple with. And you're ready for all of it, Father. That for everyone who calls you Lord, Jesus, you have prepared intercession. That as we heard this morning, that Father, Son, and Spirit are all for us, interceding for us. That Jesus, you didn't just pray 2,000 years ago before you went to the cross. You've promised us that right now, you continue this heart of intercession on our behalf. Right now. That your spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jesus, that you stand before the Father in love and compassion and understanding and tenderness. You continue to intercede for us right now. And Father, when we pray, when we face that difficult moment, when we face the moment of temptation, the moment of discouragement, the moment of weakness this week, Father, really help us to remember this. Help us to actually recall the promises of your word that at that very moment we get to know this. The God of the universe is not just for us. The God of the universe is actively interceding on our behalf. That Father, Son, and Spirit are in a conversation to help me. In a conversation to help each one of us. And you know what we're dealing with. So that conversation fits. Help us to draw strength and encouragement from the certainty of your intercession. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.